Welcome to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. What are the characteristics of a movement? I'm Kent Hunter, and this is the second episode of our series about is Christianity an institution, a program, or a movement? Very important discussion for today, and in this second installment, we are looking at what are the characteristics of a movement. And in the first episode, we looked at why are so many churches declining? These issues are closely connected. So today we're going to look at the issue of what does a movement look like? What are the characteristics? And if you don't think this has something to do with God and the church, oh, wait till you hear this. If you look up the word movement in the dictionary, which I did, this is the definition. Think about this and think about your church. Here's a definition for movement. A motion or action of a person or a group, a series of organized activities by people working concertedly toward some goal. Now, I find this really interesting because in every church we consult, we ask the question, what is the primary purpose of your church? We could have said, what is your primary goal? What is your key goal, objective? That would have something to do with a movement, wouldn't it? Jesus was very clear about this. He made disciples, and he told those disciples to make disciples of other people. He demonstrated how you do that one-on-one -on -one relationally, teaching, living, watching, participating, doing ministry. In the epistles of the New Testament, we see these disciples, the apostles, they call them now, out there reaching that goal, very clear about that goal moving across the Mediterranean world in a phenomenal movement that turned that part of the world upside down and has done the same in many places all over the world. Today, right now, I'm thinking about Ethiopia, where that world of Ethiopia is just being turned upside down because Christians are on fire and moving the movement. It's fascinating. You know, we've done a lot of work in England. In fact, we take a group there every year. And uh, we study England because they're just a little bit ahead of us in North America for the movement concept of Christianity and the cycle of Christianity that moves the movement, then gets preoccupied with other things and stalls the movement. And then there's a decline of churches and there's very little movement beyond the walls of the church. And then people get older and their movement is to the grave. And then the movement is toward empty chairs or pews in the sanctuary and a lot of other issues which many people in North America are quite familiar. So this goal is to move the movement, a motion, an action of a person or a group. That's what the church is all about. Organized activities by people working concertedly towards some goal. Jesus told us to go to the ends of the earth that just simply means reach everybody with this good news. So let's take a look at this as we look at this topic. What are the characteristics of a movement and how it relates to God? So in the beginning, God began a movement. 
He uh, started out, as you can read in Genesis 1, God created the earth to move, and it's been moving ever since. I uh, sometimes laugh about how I've always felt, and I fight the feeling that the sun rises in the east and sets in the west, and it's not true. The sun doesn't move. The earth rotates, and we're not stagnant. God did not create our world to sit in one spot. Otherwise, we'd either have daylight all the time or we'd have darkness all the time. And yet we trick ourselves into saying, yeah, the sun sets in the west. The sun comes up in the east. But God created this earth to move as the ultimate crown of his creation. He created people like you and me, Adam and Eve, and people since. We are people created by God, and we are created to move. We are engineered to move. We have phenomenal bodies, an unbelievable act of creation, a miraculous set of nerves and muscles and bones and everything put together so that we can move. And some of us move faster than others, and that partly depends on what shape we're in, and it also depends a little bit on what age we are. <laughs> but it's amazing. People are on the move all the time. Just the other day, I read an article about someone did the research of how many steps people take every day. They actually counted the steps, and they've done this all over the world, and they've measured which countries move the most and which countries are the least active. For some reason, I just remember that Malaysia was the country that scored the smallest number in the number of steps. I have no idea why. I've been there, and it's pretty hot. Maybe that has something to do with it. I don't know. But I've been in many churches where a lot of people sit in the pews, sit in the chairs, and that's pretty much all they do. Oh, no, they sit in meetings. They sit in Bible classes. They sit listening to sermons. You're probably sitting listening to this presentation, but maybe not. Maybe you're moving. You can but in the church, there's nothing wrong with sitting in a Bible class or a small group or in worship, although you worship better, especially when you're singing, standing up and getting involved, just something about that. You were created to move. I don't know what to say about sitting in meetings. Actually, meetings are not likely a very effective part of the church. Most churches could do away with probably 95% of their meetings, and spend more time moving. Instead of moving through an agenda, moving through the world with Jesus. I don't see Jesus sitting down, sitting around much. So it's very interesting about how God made all this movement stuff, this movement creation. And it's very interesting how he set up the Old and New Testament faith, the living people, the followers of God. You see, in the Old Testament, God created what's called a centripetal plan. A centripetal plan is sort of like the water going down the sink when you leave the stopper go. When you take the stopper out, the water goes around uh, and around, and it goes toward the center and goes down. So everything moves toward the center. And God did that on purpose in the Old Testament. That was his Old Testament plan. 
It was plan A of a two-part plan. God created a centripetal plan to draw all peoples, all people groups to himself. In Isaiah 42, 6, it says, I have set you among my people to bind them to me, and I have provided you as a lighthouse to the nations. And the way that that is intended is to be a guide, to be a symbol of safety where you are drawn to that. And that's the way it worked in the Old Testament. It was like the light on your front porch during the summertime. When you leave it on at night, it draws the bugs to the light. People aren't bugs, but that's sort of what the centripetal plan was all about. You see, God set up Israel as his people, and uh, he set up Jerusalem as the capital of his people. And there, of course, Solomon built the temple, which is not there anymore, but it did happen at one time. And if people in other countries talked to a Jew and they said, we'd like to know about your God. You guys are really committed to your God. You do such a wonderful job of worship and you have built this amazing temple. And in the temple, there's this holy of holies where only the priests can go in, but that's where God is. And it's so holy that you have to be represented by the priest. And if someone in another country said, man, I'd like to meet your God, there's no question what a Jewish person would say to them. Oh, you want to meet God? Great. Make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Make a pilgrimage and show up at the temple. That's where you find God. It was centripetal. God's people were to be a light to the nations that would draw them, like the bugs on your porch light, draw them with curiosity and interest and excitement and searching for meaning of life to that place where God just radiated that light and touched other people. And of course, that's where they had their worship in song and word. And oh, it's just amazing. One of my greatest experiences in life was to visit the great synagogue in Jerusalem. It's the sort of center place now that the temple is no longer there. And I attended with uh, two rabbis from the United States. So they spoke English, thank goodness. And one was Reformed and one was Orthodox. They sat on either side of me. Now, who's ever had the chance to do that? I didn't really understand the value of that experience at the time. But that's uh, where they worship now in Jerusalem called the Great Synagogue. And that's where it's supposed to all happen. And it was very different, I must say, from anything I had ever seen before. But it was just wonderful to be there with two experts from different perspectives, the Orthodox <laughs> and the Reformed rabbi, both explaining to me what was going on. So basically, as it says in Isaiah 49, 6, I'm setting you up as a light for the nations so that my salvation becomes global. What Isaiah says, and that's, of course, Old Testament. And so that's the kind of centripetal movement. And so in stage one of God's big plan, it was, y'all come, as they say in places of the South, y'all come. It's a centripetal magnet strategy drawn to where God is, where God lives, 
where God shows his presence. And there, of course, was the Ark of the Covenant and all the great stuff that were symbols of the power of God. And then there's stage two. There was a, a stage two, kind of an in-between. And no one expressed it better than Jesus, who said in John 12, 33, and he was talking about his crucifixion, he said, and I, as I am lifted up from the earth, that's a reference to being lifted up on the cross, and I, as I am lifted up from the earth, I will attract everyone to me and gather them around me. And John explains in his gospel that Jesus put it this way to show how he was going to be put to death. And so what is Jesus saying? He's talking centripetal language. I will attract, I will draw everyone to me and gather them around me. But Jesus also said, and this is in the context of the same verse, we looked at John 12, 33, now in the context, John 12, 25 to 36, it says, Jesus said, for a brief time still, the light is among you. He's talking about himself. Walk by the light you have, so darkness doesn't destroy you. Because if you walk in darkness, you don't know where you're going. As you have the light, that's as you have me, Jesus said. As you have the light, believe in the light. But then he turns this whole thing upside down, inside out, right side up, and he says, then the light will be within you, shining through your lives. You'll be the children of light. So now Jesus in this transition is saying, yeah, I'm the light, but guess what? Now, as you believe in me, you're the light. And everywhere you go, everywhere you move the movement, everywhere you interact with other people, you shine that light. Oh, don't you remember as a kid? I do. This little gospel light of mine, I'm going to make it shine. I'm going to make it shine. All around the neighborhood, I'm going to make it shine. That's about as close as most Christians ever got to being active movement witnesses is singing that song in Sunday school, I'm sad to say. I sang that song as a kid, but for a long time, I had no clue what it was about. Even as I studied for the ministry, I'm sorry to admit that. Sorry for my seminary. Sorry for the time in the world that churches exist now. But we sang the song, but never moved the movement. But then comes stage three, and it's not too late. It's not too late. And that is the go strategy. Stage three is the go strategy. Jesus took the movement to a whole new level, and it went from centripetal, like water going down the drain, to centrifugal, like if you put an object on a string and twirl it around and around and let go and it flies out and goes somewhere else because it's got the power of what we call centrifugal force. And so Jesus in the Great Commission says, go make disciples, not y'all come. Don't come to a certain place. Don't come to a certain temple, but go, go make disciples. I love it in the message version of the Bible. Go is translated in the Great Commission. God authorized and commanded me to commission you go out 
and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In another place, in the book of Acts, some of the last words of Jesus, and when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be able, you will have the power to be my witnesses. Yep, in Jerusalem, like always, but all over Judea, the area around there, and Samaria, cross-culturally, and even to the ends of the earth. That means everybody. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all people. So the concept of what has happened in the church is that the mission, y'all come, has turned to y'all go, except one exception, most churches. Most churches in the minds and in the worldview of the wonderful Christians who love the Lord, worship Him well, but aren't very good at outreach, is y'all come. That the church is a destination, not the launch pad. And if we are ever going to recapture this movement, we're going to have to rearrange our thinking, our worldview, to the worldview of the Bible. So at the time of Israel in the Old Testament, Israel in relation to the world was y'all come. But now in the New Testament, in stage three, it is y'all go. Y'all go all the time. Doesn't mean you have to be a missionary. You are a missionary. You don't have to be a professional missionary that goes to someplace far, far away. But you are a missionary every day of your lives. Every day when you get up in the morning, you say, okay, I am sent by Jesus. You know, he said in John 20, 21, as the Father sent me, now I send you. We're sent people. You're the light of the world. Interestingly, Jesus turned this around so that his body, the church, which is really you and me, and every individual who's a believer, his body can be all over the globe at one time. It's a phenomenal plan. You are the body of Christ. So in this stage, think of the three M's because that's really what's behind the true strategy of what it means to be church. The three M's are multiplication, marketplace, and mission. So let's start with the last one, mission. You are on a mission from God. You are sent into the world. You go to church to get refueled, to learn, to grow, to get fired up, to get encouraged and re-encouraged and instructed and re-instructed and grow only to spend the majority of your time out in the world. And the best place is the marketplace of the world. You know, in the New Testament church, you know how it really exploded in growth? There's a big reason why the church exploded, and it's kind of unusual. I like to tell people this because they at first think I'm nuts. But the reason the church exploded in the New Testament is they didn't have refrigerators. <laughs> I love it when I tell crowds that. They look at me like, this guy is a real nutcase. <laughs> Actually... It's true. Because they didn't have refrigerators, they had to eat fresh food. 
So they had to go to the marketplace every day, except for the Sabbath. They saved up from the day before. On the Sabbath day, they rested, but they had food from the day before. So they went to the marketplace. There was no internet. There were no Starbucks. There were no newspapers, no newscasts on television or radio. They went to the marketplace, and this is the key, relationally saw their neighbors, and they gossiped the gospel. Now, gossip is usually thought of a negative term because you're tearing someone else down behind their back. But this is literally what they did. This was the gossip item of the century, and they weren't keeping it quiet. So they were looking at the food and deciding to pick out what looks ripe, and is that tomato already too old, or... Should I take that home or not? And they would see their neighbor. Oh, hi. Hey, I want to ask you something. Have you heard about Jesus from Nazareth? Did you hear about the resurrection? Did you hear about all those people that were fed in the wilderness with just a couple of loaves and some fish? Did you hear about that blind guy that can now see? Yeah, he's over there by that pool. These people were just ecstatic, and they gossiped the gospel in the marketplace. So they were in mission. Today, it's no different. Your marketplace is a little different. It's your social network. It's the people who are on Facebook with you. They are your friends. They are your relatives. They are your neighbors. They are people you see when you go to the marketplace on a regular basis. The mechanic that works on your car, they are fellow students if you go to school. They are fellow workers at work. That's the real target number one as the people of your church go into the marketplace. And that's what it means to be in mission. And what that means is that the church grows through the people who are out there in this centrifugal force that is going out there and is just catapulted from their weekly visit to the church, maybe bi-weekly and maybe two times a week, and maybe they catapulted out into the marketplace to share good news, and it's exciting news, and they want to share it. But sadly, today, we leave the church so often on Sunday morning and go have chicken dinner at the local restaurant and maybe hash over the sermon, and that might be the end of it. And we might have a Bible class, but we meet at the church, which is not the marketplace. We do way too many things at the church. Therefore, we build our churches way too large. Therefore, it just takes a big hole out of our budget. Therefore, we don't have enough money to do missions. Do you see the cycle we're in? It's an Old Testament pattern. So to sum this up, as we talk about this issue of what are the characteristics of a movement, you just got to put this profile up against your church because so many churches are postured in an Old Testament approach. Come to church, do it my way, learn my language if you do come to church, like my music and the way we do it, rather than being sensitive as centrifugal movement people. Well, that's going to lead us to our next episode, and that is what does movement look like in your church? And you're going to love this one, I promise. I can't wait till next time. God bless you. Pass it on to someone else. We love you, and God loves you. Move the movement. It's the greatest investment you can make in your neighbors, your friends, your relatives, where you work or go to school. Move it. 
You have been listening to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. If you've liked this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to hear future episodes. Check out Kent Hunter's new book, Who Broke My Church? Seven Proven Strategies for Renewal and Revival, available now wherever books are sold.